We want to be the creators of our own reality. We want to tightly control everything about our world, right? So to, to just have that, as you said, cold plunge into the waters of reality and say, no, actually there is a creator of reality. We don't create our own reality. We actually live in a reality created for us. Oh my gosh. With a story bigger than us, right? Guys, guys, this is huge. This is massive. And I'm freaking out a little bit right now. Let me tell you why. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of January 15th. Um, no, no, January 20, what's the last week in January? What, what was the 15th and 22nd? It's the two we did last week. <laughs> what? Yeah, 29th and then 5th. You mean right there, the thing that says oh, January yeah. 29th? Yeah, 29th. To, yeah. And it says that actually right here on my on my notes that Alan prepared <laughs> <laughs> in the week of the 29th. Like, where did January go? Where did January go? It went way too fast. Yes, yeah, we're off to the races. Yeah. So we have a um, we have an exciting announcement for you all that I'm stoked to tell you about this week and next. But before we get into that. Let's take our pause. Let's take that spatial moment, that soul sanity moment where we just let it all go in a moment of release, of benevolent detachment. The world, the news, your world, the things people are asking of you. Take a moment right now to let it all go so that we can just be genuinely present to this and then we'll be in a much better place for God to meet us here this week. Jesus, we do. We pause in order to let it go. And we release to you the news and work and family and need, our concerns, just everything, everything. We can lay it down for a moment or two. And so help me, help me God, name the things for me that I need to just lay down right now. If you need to keep going for a second, hit pause, <laughs> because sometimes it takes me a while to release everything. But we release in order to come back to our life in you, God. And would you restore us? Would you renew us? Would you just refresh my attention and meet us all here in the conversation this week? Amen. Okay, so the announcement is coming. <laughs> but before we get there, I want you to read this quote from Neil Postman, because it's just, it's going to set up the conversation yeah. really, really well. Okay. Tell them where it's from. So yeah, Neil Postman wrote a book over 40 years ago called Amusing Ourselves to Death. 
And it's a fascinating look at technology, but from the perspective, before there was iPhones, before oh, there was internet. Anything. It, right. This, he was basically concerned about television. Exactly. That was the big concern of the day. <laughs> right. Okay. If he were around today, oh my gosh. I mean, he was prophetic, but his head would be yes. spinning at what's happening. Yes. So yeah, here's this quote from the book. Alongside Orwell's dark vision of 1984, there was another slightly older, slightly less well-known, equally chilling book, Aldo Huxley's Brave New World. Contrary to common belief, they did not prophesy the same thing. Orwell warns that we'll be overcome by an externally imposed oppression. Okay, so let me inter interrupt here. So he's talking about George Orwell's book, 1984. Yes. Yeah, which was kind of a dystopian warning mm -hmm. of the future. I mean, 1984. <laughs> right. Speaking about, yeah. yeah. Right. So he's talking about, yeah, Orwell's book and then comparing it to Brave New World. Brave New World actually came out a little earlier. And he says, in Huxley's vision, no big brother is required to deprive people of their autonomy, maturity, and history. As he saw it, people will come to love their oppression, to adore their technologies that undo their capacities to think. In 1984, people are controlled by inflicting pain. In Brave New World, they are controlled by inflicting pleasure. In short, George Orwell feared that what we hate will run us, while Huxley feared that what we love will run us. Yeah. So here's the fascinating thing about Brave New World. I know that story. Back in my stage days, I was in a live stage production of that in L.A., and I played the main character in that. You did? Yeah, Bernard Marx. Oh, wow. And he's the guy that gets arrested and literally sent into exile for asking questions mm. about everybody's just under this haze. Yes. Right? They're right. under an agreed upon, shared upon drug that just keeps everybody happy. Right. And everybody good and not asking questions. So it's fascinating that you brought this up. And this quote is from your new book. Right. It's featured in my book and it really touches on a core theme. So I've just released a brand new book. Dun, da, da, da. And we've got it on the table here, but it's called Risk the Real. And I'll go into what that means more in our conversation. But the subtitle is How to Defy the Rise of the Artificial. And this quote touches on that because it's something going on that in both stories, 1984 and Brave New World, that the people within those stories don't quite understand what's happening, but there's a numbing or something that's coming against them different in both of those novels. Yeah. But I think we face much the same thing today, years beyond what was Except written here. Except it's real. Except it's real. <laughs> right. Like, those are stories. Right. We're living out the real thing. Yes. Right. Of right. The, the rise of the artificial and it's it's uh, allure. Exactly. It's, uh, it's comfort. It's appeal. And what's fascinating about that you chose to write on this, Alan, over the last year and then released this book is 
is people ask me parenting questions, you know, like kind of what's your basic advice to parents? Mm -hmm. It's changed over the years. And obviously it involves the heart. Obviously it involves caring for their particular soul. Yes. But it has, you didn't know this, but it's come down to, I think one of the most important things you can do is teach your kids to love what is real. Mm-hmm. Bless because again. of this. Right. Right. Because the right. average teenager spends seven hours a day on their phone. Yes. So this isn't a parenting podcast and it's not a parenting book. Right. But it's going to be huge for parents, yes. hugely helpful. So we're going to go into this this week and next and talk a little bit about what you've discovered in the rise of the artificial and, and how we can respond to it in healthy ways. Mm-hmm. Right, life-giving yes. ways, yes. and and uh, and yeah, I guess to be a little bit like Bernard Marx, I hope we don't get sent into exile for it. <laughs> but you, you coin a term that's yeah. fascinating, and and you call it the artificial. Right, right, and and this goes back to when you and I were sitting in your office a couple of months ago, and I was asking you, John. Do you have a way to describe what's going on? Because we've both riffed individually and together about how everybody seems partially present, numb, um, defenses down, tanks are low, and and we see it in ourselves and we see it in others. But how do we describe that fully? And because sometimes it helps to put a name to something. Did I of- say something Incredibly insightful because I don't, I don't remember the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you were partially there. I'm sorry. But, no, but well, we were just riffing on possible ways to describe it, and we didn't leave with any one way. We just both affirmed, absolutely, this is going on. It's been going on since before COVID, but COVID really accelerated it. And and. Yes. How do we name it so then we can not only identify it, but live differently, right? Yeah. And so the phrase that I came up with probably three, four weeks after that, when I was just talking with God and thinking about it, is that we're all in a partificial daze, is what I call it. And by that, I just mean we're partially present and we're in this artificial haze of addiction and distraction and confusion. And so you look around you and you see it everywhere. It's, this is not a judgmental thing that I'm saying other people are. I see it in myself. But we'll go to a restaurant. And John, it still amazes me that if you just look around as you're being seated or while you're waiting for your order to be taken, couples will be there. They're both lost in their screens. They're not talking to each other. I don't know if they're on a date or married, but it feels like both scenarios. You see it with families where the mom and dad are there and there's three kids, maybe like five, seven, 10, and none of them are talking. They're all just staring down at the screen. And so that's one way we see it. I think we see it in the reactions of people. Um, when, When you're talking to them, it's like they're doing everything they can just to show up. But to try to go deep or to try to um, touch on something that is weighty 
almost feels like too much. Mm. And so it's almost too much for one to share mm. and then the other doesn't know mm. what to do with it. So wow, that's what we were trying to name in this. I found myself um, this weekend not asking people questions, follow-up questions in text conversations. Because I knew, oh, if I ask that question, then they're going to respond with a need mm-hmm. or, or a situation that I got nothing for mm. right now. And I, I'm, I'm not, I love them. I'm trying to be present, but it, it, there is a partiality yes. to my ability to be present because of all the things that are buzzing. It's like, yeah. I got to get to this other thing. So it's not just technology. Right. It, there is something about the modern moment the, the post-post-postmodern moment that is keeping people in what you're calling is uh, partificial days. Right. Okay. So let's unpack that. Let's unpack the, um, the, the kind of the Old Testament roots of this. Let's talk about the artificial. Um, because the thing we were riffing on a while ago, we were talking about Whatever the rise of this figure is that Daniel spoke of, you know, the abomination that causes desolation. We had talked a good bit about desolation, even in the last couple of weeks podcast. Um, again, don't need to get into the weeds of, is that a political figure? Is right. that, yeah. Right. But just saying, what are the symptoms? And one of the fascinating ones is he will wear down the saints. Yes. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that? He yeah. will he will wear down the saints. And so I think it's a malevolent figure that's, you know, bigger. If he's able to do it globally, then it's a it's yes. a larger you know spirit. Right. Um just simply wearing people down. Mm-hmm. And you talked about in the podcast the last few weeks about how counselors are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have space for new clients and more people than ever are trying to get in because they, they are good people who are, and these are teenagers to 80 year olds yep. and they're worn down by life and, and they think it's maybe just them, but they start to realize, no, something else is in the air. Something yeah. else is coming at me. Yeah. And I think this verse really describes it well. Yeah. And I love, I love your invitation to the real in the book, because we are saved by the real. Right. Right? That's the antidote. Okay. Yes. Because we are worn down and numbed by the artificial. And mm-hmm. that was Huxley's warning, right? Right. In Brave New World, you're going to be worn down by this stuff it, in a way that feels lovely at first. You see, that's the, right. that's the thing. Right. Feels lovely at first, right? Yes. So take us into the artificial first. Okay. Like, why does that wear us down? What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, in Huxley's book, what fascinated me was the way people were controlled or numbed was through pleasure, right? And we live in a world, especially in America, where at our fingertips, there is endless amounts of distraction momentary pleasure, entertainment, Mm. Mm. um, things that just keep us from understanding quite what's going on around us. Mm. And so, yeah, when I started to look at the artificial, John, um, you know, the main thing we hear is AI today and artificial intelligence. And that is a part of it. 
but it's not the main part. It's not the only part. And so it was fascinating to me as I kind of followed this breadcrumb trail of mm-hmm. what is going on. Mm-hmm. Well, the artificial, I started realizing how much it's affecting every aspect of our lives. So anything, the way I define the artificial is this, anything that seeks to replace God's view of reality by opposing him or making him irrelevant. And it began like the roots of it go back to when Adam and Eve were tempted and did choose the wrong tree, the tree of knowledge. And those same roots, I think, come against us and we get tangled up in them every day. And so if you want to know the reason for something, as we've discussed here in the podcast before, it helps to go back to the beginning, Mm -hmm. to the origin story. Mm -hmm. Where did all of this start? And with the artificial, I believe it started in Eden. And so Adam and Eve were given a choice between staying in the true story that God created for them, the real, or the counterfeit narrative, the artificial false story Mm. that the serpent provides, which is, no, 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 you can actually go this direction and make a choice, and that choice will help you become like God's. And so when they chose that, they chose the artificial, not knowing fully but that's what they did. And we have been immersed in that ever since. And so when we look at it through those eyes, that lens, you start going, what in my life is artificial? Well, it's anything that pulls me away from God or makes it feel like it can supersede God in my life or make anything besides what this shiny, bright new thing is less relevant. Yeah, but you're not doing this justice. It's better. It's better than that. Your ideas, your ideas are really profound. Um, because what the thing is, you're not using the word evil for a reason. You're using the word artificial and the artificial is the fake that promises Relief, comfort, joy, adventure, beauty, yes, intelligence, yes. peace of mind, right, right, whatever. Right. It, the the artificial is the not real that looks real, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And I ju- I just think this is really important that you were telling me the other day that um one of the things that in the race for uh, generative AI, there's different types of AI, right? right. But generative right. AI, the, the stuff that's like, you know, self-learning, self-teaching, self, this stuff is moving fast, right? Right, And a, a lot of how it gets used in the world is to know you. Exactly. And to know what makes you feel better. Right. So there's this, if people haven't seen it yet, I just want to mention this to them. There's a, there's a video you can watch online. It's called the AI Dilemma. And this came out almost a year ago. We'll was, post it in the show notes, yeah, folks. So don't, was, you don't have to get... You don't have to write it down now. But in the video, it was a gathering of top AI developers and two men, Azza Raskin and Tristan Harris, try to describe mm-hmm. what's going on I and put that. words to it, right? Yep. And they call it a giant reality collapse, which is an, like, that ought to catch our attention, right? <laughs> like, if there is a reality... This is causing it to collapse in a big way. And John, they actually talk about in the video golems, which to me, I mean, it makes me both smile and go, oh man. Oh, it gives you the willies. Oh man. Yeah. And the reason they use that kind of tongue in cheek acronym is 
they summarize what's going on with AI technology as generative, large language, multimodal models. So that is an acronym for Gollum. Chat GPT would be included in that. But basically these things that are being created that even the developers don't understand fully. In other words, the developers are making something that continues to exponentially grow in knowledge, increase in speed to the point where they don't understand where it's going or why it's doing what it's doing. And one of the things they say in that video is the first wave of AI, which was social media, back go back a decade ago or more, they call that the race to engagement. And you go, okay. And they say, but no, no, no. The second wave that we're in now, it's not coming, we're in it, is a race to intimacy. And here's why. Let me explain yeah. to our listeners why. Because as this stuff learns your appetites, right? Like you, you know how this goes, right? You now get on Google or, you know, you get on a website and the ads that are coming up are tailor-made to you. Yes. You get on Instagram and those videos are exactly what work for you. Yes. Okay. This is why the artificial is getting creepy. Yeah. Is that this stuff is learning, learning, learning. Right. What it is that you will click on. So honestly, again, we didn't plan on, on this, but this is a friend of mine sent me this post from Instagram this weekend. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a, a snippet of it. He He's riffing on, oh my gosh, I was on Instagram again. This is on Instagram. And I got caught because it hmm. knew exactly the video I would click on, the little reel I would click on. Our world has become hardwired to give us more of what we pay attention to. In last years, this trend has rapidly accelerated, okay, because of generative AI. Every time we look at the screen, even if we're just mindlessly scrolling, artificial intelligence is watching what we pay attention to. More than watching, it's studying. More than studying, it is obsessively measuring, training itself, getting better at giving us more. And you would say more of the artificial. Right. Right? Right. So that you just get more and more lost right. in a fake world. And it doesn't necessarily have to be an evil world. Right. Right. You're just getting more and more lost into the pleasure, the dopamine, the peace, whatever. Right. And, well, and it's also instant feedback and information and advice because mm -hmm. people turn to chat GPT now and will ask questions of what they should do. Well, if they get an answer in two seconds, that feels a lot more yeah. helpful than going into prayer and yeah, ask yep. God and it's been a week. And, yes, right? yes. Okay. This is really big because here, here's where this is headed. You, you have a very big idea. You, you kind of talk about the allure of the artificial and how lovely it is, how comforting it is. And then to kind of like bring a little bit of the the cold water, the cold plunge of the book <laughs> it is your definition of the real. Yeah. So let's contract, because I think people are kind of going, well, I'm kind of with you right now. Are you talking about get off our screens? It's, it's, it's not, it's way no, no, beyond no, no, that. No. We've got a bigger idea going on here. Right. So I think if you contrast it with your definition of the real, yeah. Yeah. it'll help folks to see that. Absolutely. And so the, the way I define the real, each of these, by the way, has a section in the book. So it, it lets us immerse in both. 
But the way I define the real is the true way to view life based on God's original intent for us and this world. He's the uncreated creator and the most real being. So the more we pursue him, the more we align with reality and the more we rebel against him or his created reality, the less we reflect reality. In other words, in a sense, we become less real. I got to slow you down. This is a big, big, big idea. So you say in the book that the creator of reality gets to define it. Yes. I mean, creator, big C, capital C, big exactly. G, God, right. Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, right. right? who created the heavens and the earth by speaking. Yes. Okay, that guy. Exactly. Okay, and you're saying that there is a reality that is our rescue. Totally. It's what we were created to live and breathe in. It was what gives us purpose and meaning and joy and yet, from the very beginning in Eden, that's what was trying to be sabotaged, stolen, taken away from us, from Adam and Eve, from us. So yeah, John, so in the book, it looks at, well, in other words, let me give this short quote from C.S. Lewis in A Grief Observed, a book he wrote. He said, I want God, not my idea of God. And as we pursue the real, what we're after here is not how we feel, not what we think should be the way things work, but how did God create things to work and what does he define as real? It's like, um, I'm a big movie buff and I love story. And in the matrix, Morpheus asks Neo this question that, Mm -hmm. that I think applies to everything we're talking about. He says, what is real? How do we define real? He goes on to say, if real is what you can feel, taste, smell, and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. In other words, he's pushing Neo into, it's something more than just what we Mm -hmm. see around us Mm -hmm. or what we want to define reality Mm -hmm. is by. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Interesting that you bring up the matrix because the whole idea of that movie is you're living in a fake world and you don't know it. Yes. Yeah. And you are sedated enough by it. I remember the scene where... Neil, Neo's getting his eyes opened up to, wait, this whole world is fake? Which is not what we're saying, folks. We're not saying the whole world is fake. We're saying we are, because of technology's um, amazement, I mean, it's skill. It's, it's because of technology's phenomenal capacities. The artificial is being delivered to us in more and more clever ways, more and more alluring ways, more and more enticing ways. Yes. Right? Right. Okay, so Neil's driving down the street and he looked at this place and he goes, oh man, that place had really good noodles. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. It, it, so he's like, oh, please don't take that away from me. Like, yeah, But yes. it was a fake restaurant in, in the Matrix. So I want to I try another angle on this. Because, you know, we're trying to do a couple podcasts around a book, but a book is something you have to read and interact with, and it's a real thing. And by the way, by the way, as two authors, can we just say, like, AI it is already flooding the book market totally with tens of thousands of books yes. that were not written by a human being. Right. Right. Authors, I, I work with a lot of writers, and they are freaking out. Because yeah. 
they don't know what to do with this because not only is AI writing books, but it's writing it like that. Yeah. It takes them a yeah. year, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I want, so maybe this example will help. Let's riff on this for a second. So pandemic rolls in and Zoom is super helpful. Okay. I mean, in FaceTime and and all the, you know, the things that allowed us to connect with one another. Yes. Right? Right. In technologies that were allowing us to do that. Okay. Um, Snapchat and other things like that. So, but particularly Zoom, because you could get online with a group of people. You could hold a small group. You could hold a Bible study. We held conferences. Our ministry held conferences, you know, through Zoom because people were stuck at home. Okay. But the whole time I kept saying, everybody was so excited of, oh my gosh, we get to reach people all around the world. This is awesome. This is the future. Look, we can we can stay right here in our own building and not pay for international airfare and you know all those expenses. We can put on an event and we can reach people all around the world and connect one another. Remember this? I totally do. Oh yeah, everybody was I so totally excited do. about it. And I kept going, <laughs> you know, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't think this is ultimately good. I still don't think it's ultimately good. And, and the reason is the artificial. Yes. Is that you are no longer with real human beings. Exactly. So fascinating. So everybody starts describing Zoom gloom. Remember, they were sort of coining phrases right. of like, oh right. my gosh, I've just been, you know, my work of six hours a day on Zoom. I just, well, here's why. Here, this, this psychologist on the East Coast figured it out. He said, most human, the majority of human interaction is nonverbal. Mm. You are, your brain is wired to react to a real person. And so I'm picking up that you've got your elbow on the table, which means you're relaxed and you're kind of leaning into the conversation. Yeah. I'm picking up the expression, like all of this stuff. He said 90% mm. of human interaction is nonverbal and you don't get it on Zoom because you're not actually in the room with the person. You're not yes. picking up the vibe. Right. Right? Right. Okay. So everybody got so excited about it. It's artificial and it is not something you want to come to love, let alone love more than being in a room with a real human being. Yes. And John, in addition to that, a friend told me this just last week, that one of the biggest problems with Zoom that that like companies are noticing, but also counselors and others is that the main thing people look at in a Zoom call is their own image. Like they may have five people or you're just with one I person. Don't, I don't know what you're talking about. But, but the main thing that people are watching mm. is their own expression, their own face. And I thought, man, we are not created to constantly have a mirror in front of us. Like that alone oh my is unhealthy oh my in gosh. addition to everything you're saying. That is brutal. Okay. All right. So you, in your book, and we're going to, we're going to get into this more next week, but you've got tenets of the real. Yes. Guiding principles of the real. Yes. It's really quite simple and lies of the artificial where you're kind of contrasting right. those two. So give us, right. yeah. give us some tenets of the real. Okay. Yes. And then lies of the artificial. Yeah. Let me give you two tenets of the real. There's five in the book, but here's one of them. Tenet one, God is the creator of reality. Now I start there because you would think, well, that's, you know, common sense, but I think we forget that in this age and time we live in, we want to be the creators of our own reality. 
we want to tightly control everything about our world, right? So to, to just have that, as you said, cold plunge into the waters of reality and say, no, actually, there is a creator of reality. We don't create our own reality. We actually live in a reality created for us. Oh my gosh. With a story bigger than us, right? Guys, guys, this is huge. I know it sounds simple, but this is massive. And I'm freaking out a little bit right now. Let me tell you why. Prior to coming to the creator of the real, um, I, in my former life, explored quite a bit with hallucinogens. Okay. Craig and I used to talk about that on the podcast a little bit. So yeah, mushrooms and peyote and LSD and pharmaceuticals. And it it really actually was a kind of spiritual search for me. I was hungry for something. Yes. Well, you, you know, back in the seventies, you know, you could just, there was a lot of options. Okay. You, you have no idea folks how horrible it is to lose touch with what is real. And hallucinogens look like this wonderful expansion of human consciousness. That's the promise, right? We're going to expand your consciousness. No, no, no. It it fully cuts you off from what is real. Now, here's why I'm freaking out. It's back. People are now promoting hallucinogens to heal trauma, you know, uh, what is it? The Ayathuska, the, the Amazonian herb that you use with a shaman, excuse me, to expand your reality through ritual. Like, no, 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 folks, you don't understand. Like, no, I'm telling you, this is really, really, really bad. And to come unglued from what is real. So when you're saying, look, can I just tell you a couple basic things? God created reality. Right. Reality is knowable. And what you're trying to say in the book is, and and it's your rescue. It's your safe place. It's the foundation of everything. Okay. Because John, I was driving home on a, like a two day trip from Texas back to Colorado recently. And in the middle of nowhere, there was this just fields of grass and there was a hand painted sign and it said, God is real. And and as I was driving by it, I was writing this book at the time. And I'm like, (laughs) how cool is that? But then what struck me is, but notice even in the sign, it's saying there's a category called real or reality. And God is in this category. Mm. And what I'm inviting readers to do is flip that. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. It's not that God qualifies in reality, or we have to prove God is real. God created reality. Okay. He's over the category. God yeah. is yeah. the one. Give us give us the correlate. Give us the next principle. Then. Yeah, yeah. Because that's true. Because that's true. Then the second one is our reality must be rooted in him. In other words, we have to then say, if he defines reality, then let's look back at Eden. Let's look back at the beginning to know who are we supposed to be, yeah. right? Yep. And how are we supposed to live? Yep. It starts there. It does. And that's why I think the enemy, when we see the serpent in the garden, his first attack is actually against reality. It's against God's story. He's saying, no, no, no. That's not true. He, he's not yeah. telling you the truth. That's yeah. not true. But mm. here's the way. Yeah. 
You know, what's fascinating about this, Alan, is that when Jesus is questioned about human nature, and so a big reason why this is important, folks, is this doesn't primarily have to do with Instagram or Zoom right. or, yeah, your, you know, your particular choices. The, the world is in a tailspin of what does it mean to be human? And people are asking for the freedom, demanding the freedom to redefine human according to whatever they want. Yes. Right? And so this is really big. Jesus is asked, it's it's a question about divorce, but it's fascinating where he goes. He says, wait, aren't you aware of how it was in the beginning? He does this in Matthew. Mm -hmm. He says, in the beginning, he made them male and female. It isn't a conversation about gender in the moment. It's a conversation about divorce, but he's going all the way back to exactly what you're saying. Yes, yes. That there is a reality that was created by a kind and generous and loving God. Right. And within that reality is life. Yes. And outside that reality, where wherever the artificial is trying to present itself mm-hmm. is not life. Right. And, and, and then you can go into a real tailspin from there. Totally. And in the book too, that's why, why while I have the five tenets of the real, I have five lies of the artificial. And I'll just bring up a couple of those really quick. And then we'll get back to this next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the lies of the artificial is the machine and by the machine, I'm referring to what past writers have referred to as anything artificial. The machine is neutral, meaning, well, yeah, there's a lot of things that maybe don't bring me closer to God or maybe kind of align with what I want to do, but it's probably neutral. Like it's it's okay. It's fine. It's mm-hmm. not bad. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's a quote, really short quote. I just want to read to you, John. It's from a book. Ian Forster wrote this short story called The Machine Stops. And The Machine Stops was written in 1909. So over 100 years ago, long before we have any of the technology we have now. But just listen to his words. We created the machine to do our will, but we cannot make it do our will now. It has robbed us of the sense of space and the sense of touch It has blurred every human relation and narrowed down love to a carnal act. It has paralyzed our bodies and our wills and now compels us to worship it. This is in 1909? 1909. Holy cow. It's it's 40 pages, but it's fascinating. And then he goes on to say, the machine proceeds, but not to our goal. We only exist as the blood corpuscles that course through the arteries. And if it could work without us, it would let us die. Okay. So your book, Risk the Real, is an invitation to what? It's an invitation to discover this clash between the artificial and real that's been going on since Eden and to risk our best or our most for what matters most. And we'll get into the risk next week. Okay. But this is setting the stage for that. Because if we don't understand, if we just define the artificial in a very limited way, or we don't understand what the real is, then we can't even begin to know how to risk in our life for what matters Mm. most. Mm. 
And, and John, in the book, mm. what I've done is all the chapters are three, four pages. Mm. So it's a very kind way to go into a subject that's pretty deep, but in a very conversational kind way. You can read a chapter in five minutes, yeah. four minutes. Yes. And it's a step-by-step way to bring the reader into the discovery process that I've been on for the last year, which is, God, help me understand more what's real, what's artificial, and then how do I navigate my life now at such a time as this? Yeah, that's really good. You've written it for the modern attention span. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind. That was kind. I'm working on a new book too, and I'm really wrestling with how do we talk about things that are deep and meaningful in a way that simply acknowledges the assault, right. the preoccupation on, on human attention. So to go back to that, we, we flew by so many big ideas, but that the because AI is brilliant at learning our appetites, mm-hmm. even if our appetites are not good, Right. Right. It's, it's making no moral distinction. Say, I'm just going to put more of this in front of you. Right. And I'm going to keep tailoring it and tailoring it until you pay attention. The war for our attention, I think we've been trying to say that for several years on the podcast. But what you said in, in quoting those guys, Tristan Harris and those guys, was that the war is now for intimacy. Yes. Right. right. These, these are big ideas. And I think they're going to be really, really helpful. Um, and John, can I just close with one thought yeah, on that? Yep. So that video you're talking about that we began with, the AI dilemma, the key sentence that they said that just had chills go through my body when he said it is, he was talking about how this new second wave of AI is a race to intimacy, right? Yes. And the quote he says after that is, whichever agent gets to have the primary intimacy relationship in your life wins. And God wants the intimacy, right? There we go. Whatever agent has the role of primary intimacy wins. Right. Okay. We're going to land this here, pick up part two next week. We'll put some of this in the show notes, but the book is Risk the Real Yes. by Alan Arnold, available on Amazon. That's right. All right. Congratulations, pal. Thank you.